the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. This is the best of Bob France Authority. The Answer. Continuing this morning on AM 1420, The Answer, we welcome our regular Friday guest to the program, Congressman Jim Renacci, joining us. Congressman Renacci, of course, also running for Senate against Sherrod Brown after winning a very hotly contested primary last month. Congressman, good morning, sir. How are you? Good, Bob. How are you this morning? I'm good. It's good to talk to you. Boy, oh boy, uh, your plate is full right now, as is the plate of every uh, congressman, because uh, there are some very, very high-level things going on, a lot of very important negotiations, and I want to talk about some of these with you. Specifically, let's talk about immigration. I know there were uh, there was a big meeting yesterday, and there appears to be a bit of a, a, a battle between the more hardline conservatives on the Republican side and some of the GOP leaders. Uh, deals are being discussed uh, as far as comprehensive immigration reform dealing with DACA. Can you tell us where that stands and where are you? Well, look, there's a number of bills on the table, one of them being the Goodlatte bill. I do uh, support the Goodlatte bill. Uh, there are some changes I'd like to see made to it, but not not major. I would support it as is if necessary. Uh, but the one thing about the Goodlatte bill is uh, it, it fits all the pieces the president wants to see, uh, you know, whether it's chain migration, whether it's, uh, you know, the DACA issue. All these things are addressed, which I think is important, including funding for the wall, which is also very important. So uh, that's why I like that bill. There's a number of other bills out there. And uh, I think what's going on right now, uh, myself and, and uh, many conservatives want to see the Goodlatte bill uh, brought to the floor. Uh, there are others who want a much more watered-down bill, and I think that's where it's, uh, it's being worked at right now. I would hate to see some of the things they're talking about being pulled out of the Goodlatte bill, like uh, E-Verify, which the, I think oh, okay. is an important piece. I do, uh, too. You know, uh, who, chain who migration, that, possibly some issues there. So it's, uh, it's a watering-down 
uh, of the good lad bill that I think is the process uh, we're at right now, and uh, we're going to end up seeing where it's at. Which Republicans want to water it down and remove uh, the the uh, uh, e-verify system and so on from it? Uh, well, you look here in Washington, as you know, there's various pockets of Republicans and Democrats. Uh, it's the political world we live in. But as sure. you get to the more moderate Republicans, uh, many who uh, uh, live uh, near the borders, whether it's in Florida or Texas or California, uh, those individuals are, are fighting real hard to change some of the DACA provisions uh, as well. In the Good Lab Bill, the DACA provisions are that uh, these individuals have to register over a 12-year period. Um, many want them to get their citizenship. Uh, now, uh, I will say some of them that? are saying Do you support they, they, that citizenship get, for DACA, Congressman Renacci? Do you support uh, citizenship for these individuals? No, I believe there needs to be a path, though. I've said all along that uh, we need to be able to come up with a normal solution and process, but uh, nobody should just get automatic citizenship. In fact, I've said consistently that everybody should go through the same process. And, and I think uh, that's where I'd like to be. A path to leg- a path to what? A path to legality or an eventual path to citizenship? Because that's where a lot of people draw the line. That's where I am, particularly. If they're going to get an amnesty of some kind, uh, to me, they can have a path to legality, eventually being here legally and permanently, but uh, but not to, not to voting rights and citizenship. That's where I stand. Where do you stand? Well, I think everybody should have a path to even legality as long as it's the same path. So if you whether you started the process today as a legal path and a legal start. Um, if you're here, you're going to have to go into that line and start that same path. So depending on where you want to go, if you want to be a legal citizen, I think you need to start the same and do the same path as everybody. There should be no difference for anyone. That's what I continue to say. Will there be a bill passed that does not include, if there is a DACA protection, um, will there be a bill passed uh, that does not include full funding of the border wall? Well, I can't answer that because uh, I know I do support uh, full funding of the border wall, but uh, I don't know where um, many of the members are. Uh, let's let's face it. As I said, yesterday's meeting went on for two hours. Uh, it was a good start. Probably should have occurred a long time ago. Here's the problem. Agreed. Here in Washington, uh, too often we don't get a chance to air our issues and, and our positions. Um, that's what conferences are for. That's when members can get up and speak their way. Um we don't do enough of that, and yesterday was the first time in a long time that we sat down for two hours and talked about uh, the uh, immigration process. Uh, let's uh, pivot to international affairs, particularly as it pertains to economy, the economy and trade. The president is going to the G7 summit, obviously. He apparently is not going to stay for the entire summit. He's going to leave it a little early tomorrow morning to prepare for the uh, high-level talks with uh, with North Korea. But this uh, this is a unique meeting of the uh, very se- the very important economic powers, these seven nations, because of the president's imposition of tariffs. Uh, we're hearing Emmanuel Macron say, uh, by way of Twitter yesterday, the American president may not mind being isolated, but neither do we mind signing a six-country agreement, if need be, because these six countries represent values. They represent an economic market, which has the weight of history behind it, and which is now a true international force. Is the president playing this wrong, or is he right to say, look, we're tired of the trade imbalance, which is two, three, four, five hundred billion dollars a year between us and, uh, and, and many of these other nations? Well, Bob, the one thing I always uh, like about this president, he goes into agreements ready to walk away from them. And I've said that in my business career, um, even in my personal, uh, anything I do personally, if you're not afraid to walk away from a deal, then you're never going 
to do a good deal. So I'm glad to see the president's willing to walk in there, uh, prepared to walk away, not afraid. Um, but at the same time, he has to. I, I think the other countries have to remember he represents the United States of America. Uh, he doesn't represent the G7. So um, now he wants to be a partner, and the good partners need to talk and be willing to negotiate. But at the end, he has to make sure that he negotiates the best deal uh, for the United States of America in fairness with the other nations. So I think that's the key, and uh, this president is a good negotiator because he's willing to walk away, something we haven't had with the president in a long, long time. Yeah, and, and, and the word fairness, of course, is is in the eye of the beholder, I suppose, because the EU, again, quoting the president now by his Twitter, it's kind of funny how these international uh, diplomatic uh, relations are being done publicly by way of Twitter. I read you Macron's tweet. The president tweeted two hours after that, the EU trade in part, the EU trade surplus with the U.S. is $151 billion. And Canada keeps our farmers and others out. Look forward to seeing them tomorrow. So that, you know, I don't, I don't know how the EU and people like Macron can say that the $151 billion trade surplus that they enjoy and the deficit that we suffer through is, quote, fair. Well, exactly. And that's why, uh, again, one thing in being with this president, whether it's, uh, on Air Force One or in the car with him, uh, I know that his heart is always with the United States of America and doing what's right for our country. Um, I hear that all the time, and uh, I think that's where he wants to be in this. What What is fair has to be fair for the United States of America as well. So so with all of that in mind, as he goes into these negotiations, a lot of the, um, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the tense words that are going to be exchanged are about these tariffs. Do you support the tariffs, Congressman? Well, look, as I said to the president, I support whatever, uh, in, in many ways, which is best for Ohio. Uh, I'm looking to represent the entire state of Ohio. And the problem is, uh, yes, we do need a strong uh, steel industry. There is no doubt about that. We have to make sure that our steel industry is strong. But at the same time, uh, China has been violating trade for years. And we have to make sure that uh, we we fix this issue with China. But at the same time, we have to think about our manufacturers. As I travel the state, they're concerned about tra- uh, tariffs. And, of course, we have a farming industry that's very concerned. So in the end, I do believe we have to do what's necessary to get to the right spot. The president does this uh, type of negotiation where he casts out a large net and then pulls it back as he sees fit. Uh, but, in the, but in the end, I do know that the president is thinking the best interests of our country he wants to make sure that we have a strong steel industry, which we have to. Um, look, if someday we go to war, we better be able to have steel mills that are producing uh, the steel we need uh, to support our troops and to support our um, military. So in the end, I think those are the kind of things that the president needs to consider. But we have to be cautious and, uh, and watch. I mean, he will uh, throw these tariffs out. I think in the end he'll pull them back. Uh, he's a negotiator. He's going to use these tactics for uh, negotiation positions. We're talking to Congressman Jim Renacci, as we do each and every Friday right here on AM 1420, the answer for an update. Now, you said you support what's best for Ohio. Speaking of what's best for Ohio, let me ask you about your opponent in this Senate race, Senator Sherrod Brown, because he introduced or co-introduced the Butch Lewis Act yesterday. And as I understand, or recently, as I understand this, this legislation wants taxpayers to front the money to save the program, talking about the multi-employer pension uh, program, uh, with no plan for repayment or any preventative measure to, to stop this from happening again. Can you tell us what this plan is and, and what your thoughts are of it? 
Well, the problem with uh, the plan, uh, the Butch Lewis Act, the Senator Brown, is it's another one of his every six-year deals he comes out and does things to try and get reelected. He's, he's telling those individuals who are going to lose their pension, the United States government is going to fund you 100%. You don't, you're not going to have any risk. And then, by the way, uh, it's going to be a loan that we don't need to worry about. Just interest will uh, accumulate for 30 years. Believe it's not 30 years, Bob. I mean, uh, he'll be 95 or 96 years old. I mean, he'll be long gone, um, and this liability will be on our children and grandchildren. So I continue to say we can't have federal bailouts, and we can't have politicians looking for quick fixes like this. This is what Senator Brown's doing here. Do we have a problem with these pensions? Absolutely. Do we have to come up with shared responsibility to fix it? Absolutely. But let's just not kick, and, and I chuckle, because this isn't kicking the can down the road. Too often, politicians like to kick the can down the road two years or four years. He wants to kick this down the road 30 years. It's absolutely ridiculous. It does has no support from Republicans, but it's a, it's a political gimmick. And uh, it's one of the things you're going to see this senator continue to do. It's an election year. He shows up every six years with, with presents and gimmicks. This is just another gimmick. Not only does it kick it down the road 30 years, as you point out, but if I understood it correctly, it, it won't even remain solvent after seven years. So what happens in years you know, eight through, through 30? Well, the problem is the, the uh, money that's being loaned out just continues to uh, build interest and build interest in the hope that there's solvency. Again, this is a hope uh, that there's solvency and that these programs can then pay these loans back. Uh, look, I've been a businessman for 30 years. I can tell you, when you start compounding interest over 30 years, there is no hope. There is no salvation for this plan, and there's probably no votes. Uh, so, again, Sherrod's selling a plan that will not work and will not get the support he needs. Uh, let's make sure we sit down and work through a plan that does work, that has shared responsibilities. I do feel sorry for these pensioners, and we do have to come up with a plan that works, but this isn't it. In his uh, sales pitch, has he included how much it actually costs? Well, it's funny. That's the other thing, Bob. He never talks about costs. He says that uh, he doesn't have a score. He doesn't have a cost. The reason is the cost is going to be so big that he's never going to want to talk about it. Yeah, I can imagine he wouldn't do that. And real quick before you go, and we're a little short on time here, I realize, but uh, the president, of course, next week is scheduled to go into that high-level bilateral summit with uh, Kim Jong-un. What would you like to see come out of this? What do you expect to, to happen in this? What is just? I mean, I think you're probably as curious as the rest of us exactly what we can expect from some unprecedented meeting like this. But what is your hope? Well, look, I do have hopes that it's a starting, not a, not an ending. I do have hopes that the, the discussions uh, just begin. Uh, I don't expect all answers or all cures immediately. Um, that's the one thing that I think too many people, you know, they get these, these impressions that this is going to be a meeting where all the everything's just going to be negotiated and everybody's going to walk out and everybody's going to be happy. I think this is the start. I do think there will be multiple uh, discussions. I think at the end... Um, look, if we can reduce nuclear weapons and, and make North Korea uh, someone who works within the world community, that has to be the goal. It's not going to happen in that first meeting, though. Yeah, no question. This would, this would be the first of a very, very long journey, first step in a very long journey, I would imagine. Congressman Renacy, thank you so much for taking the time on this Friday morning to join us. Appreciate that. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thank you, Bob. Have a great day. Thank you. You do the same. There's Congressman Jim, Jim Renacci joining us on AM 1420. The answer will take this time out and be right back on the Bob France Authority.
right, it's 927. Good Tuesday morning to you. Thank you for uh, being with us. Uh, we had some uh, equipment News. problems. We had some equipment problems, uh, a few glitches there in the first segment. That's why you heard uh, uh, a... Uh, uh, an old interview with uh, Congressman Renacy just uh, in the last segment. But we are live now. The equipment problems have disappeared. Little gremlins have gotten out of our gears, and we are ready to go. And coming up on the program this morning, we have some really important interviews. So I'm really glad we got this worked out because uh, coming up in just a few minutes, it's going to be time for another visit at 935 with Dr. Everett Piper was the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and he is the author of Not a Daycare, uh, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. Dr. Piper is going to alert us uh, about the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities and the National Association of Evangelicals, Evangelicals, two of the nation's foremost evangelical organizations, publicly announcing they are now supporting adding sexual orientation and gender identity as officially protected minority classifications to the ranks of federal non-discrimination law. And you might say, why? What does it matter? It has to do with religious liberty. We've talked about this in so many different areas, in so many different cases. Your First Amendment rights to practice your religion without fear of government intervention and government forcing you to abandon your religious principles are at stake. They're at risk. We have talked about this in numerous places, and now this is a pretty doggone important one. So Dr. Piper is going to talk to us about compromising religious freedom, which is exactly what is going on here. And again, these are councils for Christian colleges and universities and evangelicals who are falling into this trap. It is a very dangerous story, and I'll let him tell that at about 9.35. Then coming up at the top of the next hour, we are going to be uh, speaking with somebody I'm really, really excited to talk to. I've not had Hans on this program before. I've heard him on Hugh Hewitt and many other places. You probably have as well. Hans von Spakovsky is going to be joining us. He is a former um, uh, commissioner of, uh, with the FEC, the Federal, uh, Federal Elections Commission. And he's going to talk to us about any legal jeopardy that he believes the president might be in because of the Cohen plea and the Cohen sentencing. He says... Michael Cohen, Donald Trump, the two of them, and any quote-unquote hush money that was paid to Stormy Daniels or Karen McDougal, they did not violate campaign finance law, and the president is being unfairly targeted as a result. So coming up, Dr. Everett Piper at about 935, then in the top of hour number two, Hans von Spakovsky will be joining us, so stay right here. We are live on this Tuesday, even though we were on tape, we are on Memorex for the first segment, we are live now, so stay here on AM 1420, The Answer. I love the week before Christmas. We go all Christmas music, bumper music, and I uh, and I love it. Absolutely puts me in the spirit. I hope it does the same for you. Good morning. Thanks once again for joining us. Thanks for working through our tech glitches in the uh, early portion of the uh, of the hour, but we are good to go now. And as promised, we have a couple of very important people to talk to. The first, you, uh, who's is a voice you will remember because he's been on the program a number of times from the very very uh, beginning when he wrote his op-ed uh, about not a daycare. The president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, 
who uh, quickly transformed that and expanded upon that to write a book called Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. And he has been a popular media figure or pundit or commenter or commentator, rather, uh, ever since then. And uh, he is spot on the money each and every time that he writes and certainly every time that we speak with him. And I speak, of course, about Dr. Everett Piper, the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Dr. Piper, good to have you back on the air here in Cleveland, Ohio. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you as well. Thank you so much. So much. I hope you and your family have a blessed holiday. So I read uh, with great interest, Dr. Piper, uh, your piece on compromising religious freedom. And uh, my goodness gracious, I was just kind of prepping our audience for our chat a little bit, telling them about the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities and the National Association of Evangelicals. Um, Why don't we start by you explaining to us what this legislative initiative called Fairness for All really is. Fairness for All is a move that's being championed by the LGBT community and those in the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, as well as the National Association of Evangelicals. It's a compromise, supposedly, where you all, you Christians, you conservatives, if you, if you will concede that sexual orientation and gender identity should be officially ranked, excuse me, officially sanctioned and recognized in national law. It should be codified as an official minority class. If you will give us minority classification and all civil and federal rights accordingly, we will help guarantee your religious freedom. So it's an argument, fairness for all, sounds good, doesn't it, Mm -hmm. that let's have everybody enjoy the rights and privileges of um, uh, that come with minority status in the United States. Now, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Well, we <laughs> first, do you want you want me to wait for a question, or do you want me to go? Another, those two things. No, I did. It just just the short. I'll give the short answer. You give the detailed answer. The answer is you can't have both of those things if you're going to force people who are religious to accept these uh, these these protections that you're talking about. I'll let you go into the details. Yeah, I could go on and on, but I'll just briefly. Here's what's wrong with it. First of all, it's uh, broken politically and um, and legally. How can you grant a group of people? minority status in federal law, and then turn around at the same time and pretend that you have an exemption uh, of um, uh, treating them accordingly in employment at your church or at your Christian college. In other words, if you grant an individual minority status, don't you at the same time logically and legally have to give them those rights and privileges that you just granted them? So it makes no sense for the CCCU and the National Association of Evangelicals to pretend that somehow they will be exempt from having to recognize this minority group that they just said is a minority group. It makes no sense. It's a fool's errand. Second, and here's a key thing for me, and those who are Christians listening should understand this very, very clearly. Let's start with ontology. What is ontology? It is the philosophical study of what is real. So is it real? Is it a real statement, a true statement, that you are a male? I would argue that that's a biological fact. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter what your subjective attitudes are or appetites are with regard to the ontological fact that you are a male. If we start granting minority status to a group of people just because of their feelings rather than the ontological facts as to who they are, where does this stop? This is a problem. The biblical message 
the Judeo-Christian ethic, natural law, common sense, biology, physiology, and ontology tells us that there are certain things that are facts and there are certain things that are feelings. And the First Amendment rights that we enjoy are predicated upon facts, not feelings. And when we make the mistake of recognizing a minority group on the basis of what they feel, then it is an endless Pandora's box that can stop at nothing but total anarchy when it comes to minority status. And the complete abrogation of religious freedom, which is the issue here. Uh, Dr. Everett Piper is our guest. Absolutely. He is the uh, president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, the author of Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. Now, what you just said about biology, and you're 100% right, of course, uh, you know, our chromosomes are what our chromosomes are, our, 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 you know, it's very clearly identifiable by, uh, human anatomy, uh, in terms of who we are rather than what we feel like. Now, that's the quote-unquote transgender part of this, or the gender identity part of this fairness for all. But now, the sexual orientation is probably a little bit of a different story, is it not? Because now it's not as easy easy to say, well, you are biologically this, or you are biologically that, as a, uh, in terms of gender. But in terms of sexual orientation, attraction, uh, whether you're gay or straight, or however, you, you know, whatever the correct terminology is going to be, homosexual, heterosexual, um, how do we deal with that part of this? How do we accept that part of this uh, while, uh, as a um, uh, minority classification and also make sure that people are not losing their religious liberties over having to, uh, uh, to submit to certain aspects of that? Well, we've bought the lie. Our culture, our church, by and large, everybody has bought the lie that orientation equals identity. So let's, what does orientation mean? It means your sexual appetite. You're oriented toward a given behavior, a given appetite, a given sexual expression. Well, I don't really care what your sexual appetite is, and I don't want to know, but that appetite should not lead to minority status, because there are given appetites that even in our secular culture, we still agree should be controlled. If your appetite is toward pederasty, we believe you should control that and not imbibe that appetite. Um, when I'm teaching my boys, when they're 14, 15 years old, that they should restrain themselves sexually and not imbibe their sexual desires with every 14-year-old girl that they are attracted to, I'm calling upon them to be the Omago Dei, the image of God. And I'm saying, look, guys, you're not the Omago Dog. You don't have to follow your every inclination, passion, proclivity, and appetite. As a responsible, moral human being, you should not do certain things. Even the secular world agrees with this. The Me Too movement is a call upon men to control themselves and to stop. Sexual morality in and of itself assumes moral culpability and free will and choice. We don't define ourselves by our appetites, and Lord help us if we start doing that. Again, a Pandora's box with a never-ending consequence if we go down that path. Dr. Piper, tell me more about the arguments being made uh, in favor of Fairness for All by the NAE and the CCU. Um, you described them in your op-ed uh, from the Washington Times that I'm quoting from as being selfish and short-sighted, saying that the their defense of First Amendment rights only argues for the protection of actual churches and Christian colleges while ignoring millions of other Christians and private business owners. Can you go, go further into that? 
Yes, even in this fairness for all compromise that the NAA, NAA, excuse me, NAE and CCCU calls for, it only protects the official organized church and Christian colleges. It leaves you as a private businessman completely hanging at the mercy of this new legislation. It leaves uh, Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop or Baronel Stutzman, the florist from Washington. It leaves them hanging. These Christians have been persecuted into the point where their businesses have been forfeited and put in jeopardy. In Stutzman's case, completely forfeited. In Masterpiece Cakes, he's still suffering great financial loss and persecution at the hands of the left that are challenging him, simply because, as an artist, he didn't want to create art and messages that contradicted his religious convictions. So this compromise does nothing to protect our brothers and sisters in Christ who run a private business and simply want to be left alone. Yeah, they'll serve anybody. Jack Phillips will serve anybody, regardless of morality, regardless of sexual choice. He has sold cupcakes and cakes and cookies to homosexuals for decades. He just didn't want to be forced to produce a message in the artwork that he does on his cakes that contradicted his religion. Why should anyone suggest that he should have to do so? The state has no business intruding into Jack Phillips's faith and telling him, produce these messages. You are bound by law to do so because you're a bigot and you won't recognize these people and their sexual choices and behavior. So, Dr. Piper, are the um, individuals who are making these decisions uh, for the CCCU and the NAE, are they completely unaware of what they're doing? Do they not understand that you cannot grant this minority protected status and allow people to have their sexual, or excuse me, not their sexual, their religious freedom? Uh, do they not get it, or do they get it, but they're just being very duplicitous here? And uh, and what is their motive of, of promoting and supporting this thing if it really is going to rob people of what they should be promoting, which is their uh, religious uh, uh, freedom? They can't help but get it. Let me quote Chai Feldblum, who is on the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, appointed by Obama. She says that um, it is a zero-sum game game where the rights of LGBTQ Americans will be secured only by curtailing the rights of religious Americans. LGBT community rights cannot be adequately advanced, says Feldblum, if pockets of resistance are permitted to flourish. And then she goes on and says, no individual exceptions based on religious beliefs should ever be allowed if they conflict with the goal of liberty for gay people. So how can the leaders of the CCCU and then NAE not be aware of the threat? It's as if they're an ostrich with their head stuck in the sand, completely oblivious to the fact that there are predators circling them that want to have them for lunch. But yet they are like Neville Chamberlain meeting with Hitler, singing and praising peace in our time. This is capitulation, it's appeasement, and it will result in nothing but the loss of religious freedom, not only for the people that think they're victorious, the NAE, CCCU, but for everybody else that they're throwing under the social justice warrior bus. Has um, has anyone cornered them with that and challenged them with those statements from Feldblum and saying, how can you support this, given this is, I mean, the, the acknowledgement of, of, of curtailing the rights of religious Americans? And I love that phrasing, by the way. She used no individual exceptions. Based on religious beliefs, that, like you said before, you know, Jack Phillips, Baronel Stutzman, or anybody else, uh, not an officially recognized church or religious institution, <clears throat> but just an individual, nobody would be protected from this. So has anybody taken this to them and, and gotten a response? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They They've been told over and over again. I, I tried to get an alternative um, 
the Alliance Defending Freedom, an organization that's ranked as, uh, I believe, number one in the nation recently in terms of its victories before the Supreme Court in defending religious freedom. I tried to get them involved in a recent meeting where they could be heard and they could actually present their view because they agree with my concerns. ADF agrees with my concerns and is trying to uh, coach people and counsel people toward different solutions in this culture in which we live. And they're saying that the fairness for all is a fool's errand. It will not work legally, but to no avail. People don't want to hear it. They've already made up their mind. You know, Dr. Piper, I, I read an article just a few days ago, and I'm desperately searching for it now as we speak, about Alliance Defending Freedom, because you're right. They are clearly the biggest thorn in the side of those uh, with the agendas that we're describing here, such as Fairness for All, uh, and because they defended uh, uh, Jack Phillips and Baroness Stutzman and others. They are a major, major target, and they have been targeted, and I can, cannot seem to find this as we speak, but they have been targeted and described as a hate group. Essentially, but the Alliance for Freedom, by, by trying to defend our religious liberty, is a hate group because they are essentially siding with the intolerance or those who are intolerant of the LGBTQ lifestyle that you describe. Absolutely. The Southern Poverty Law Center and the Human Rights Commission, uh, both left wing organizations that seek to silence the opposing voice. They've both labeled ADF, the Alliance Defending Freedom, as a hate group. Why? Well, because if you disagree with me, you hate me. I mean, it's, it's duplicitous, it's hypocrisy, it's completely dishonest, because they disagree with ADF, therefore they would have to label themselves as haters. It's like saying, I hate you hateful people. It's, you saw off the branch upon which you said it makes no sense. And the Southern Poverty Law Center has done this to a lot of folks. I've been cited by HRC, the Human Rights Commission, which is aligned with the SPLC, as a hater, simply because I'm challenging people logically and coherently and saying, wait a second, are you, are you the Imago Dei? Are you the image of God? Do you have moral responsibility? responsibility and culpability and choice and free will, or are you an animal? Are you the imago dog, where you can do nothing but define yourself by your appetites and your sexual instincts? Hopefully, we recognize that the Judeo-Christian message of the imago Dei is an, is an, uh, it's a compliment to the human being. It's not an insult to the human being, because we elevate you and me, men and women, human beings, to the highest definition possible, and, <clears throat> and we, re- excuse me, we we refuse to dumb people down to nothing but the base, the instinctive, and the inclination. Dr. Piper, um, I, I don't want to say that conservatives have a monopoly on religion or faith, um, but I, I think most people do kind of associate those who support religious liberty, especially with conservatism, and uh, they want the government to not interfere with our First Amendment rights in such cases. Um, but I, when I see a story like this, I read it in The Federalist uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, uh, the stig- This is a, a gay writer named Chad Felix Green who says, the stigma against my conservative politics is worse than the stigma of being gay. And he writes about 750 words about all of the different things he has to endure, maybe a little more than that, um, because he's conservative. He's gay and he's conservative. Um, is that the direction that we're talking about here, if you're conservative and if you're religious? Hence my kind of disclaimer there. I'm not saying that everybody who is religious is conservative or that everyone who's conservative is specifically religious, but... Your religion, your belief in your religion, your faith, your conservative politics, that is almost becoming more taboo than being gay. And I'm not suggesting that anybody who is gay should have to feel pressured or, or anything else of that, you know, you know, that a taboo comes with being a taboo. But, but here's a gay conservative religion, religious person who says, I am 
persecuted more because of my my conservatism than I am than than I am my actual sexual orientation. I've called it ideological fascism rather than intellectual freedom. And what do I mean by that? Where do we get the word fascism? It comes from the Roman fascist, which was a bundle of sticks bound together so tightly that it could not be broken. The power of commonality, the power of the common bond, the fascist. It's from that we get the word fascism. In other words, you must be one of us. You must be part of the collective. You must think like us and be like us and look like us. If you're not one of us, we will crush you. You're verboten, you're expelled, you're unwelcome. And isn't that what you see in this political and academic debate today? If you don't agree, we will crush you. If you're a conservative African-American like Candace Owens, you are a bigot because you don't express liberal progressive views. If you're a conservative Jew like Ben Shapiro, you will not even be welcome on the campus of Berkeley because we won't listen to you. You see this over and over again. It's ideological fascism. It is not intellectual freedom. It is the silencing of truth. It's the silencing of debate. Um, that's very well said, Dr. Piper. And last thing before you run, and I pre- appreciate your time today, the attack on ADF, which is an attack on you, and it's an attack on me and anybody else. I support ADF both financially and just on, on the air in terms of, of public commentary. Um, this is what they're facing. You know, you mentioned the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is well known for, for, uh, you know, for, for targeting and labeling organizations with whom they disagree as hate groups. This story I was mentioning before was actually from NBC. Surrounded by the uh, skyscrapers that tower over Times Square, New York, a new billboard went up last week. Um, Correction, this was last month because this story is a month old. It's November 14th, so, but the point still remains the same. The billboard said, no gays allowed. And underneath it, a smaller message said, stop Alliance Defending Freedom. Learn more at nogays.org. That is, that is the kind of just, you know, it's it's libelous is what it is. It's essentially saying that Alliance Defending Freedom says no gays allowed. Learn about this hate group here at nogays.org. That's the kind of, of, of libel or slander, if they're saying it, uh, that, that ADF and organizations, you know, uh, and, and individuals like you and to a lesser extent like me, that we have to face. If we support our faith, we are called... Uh, you know, home, not even homophobes, but the worst types of, of intolerant fascists. We're the ones who are saying gays aren't allowed. They're attributing that. They're, 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 they're just that, I suppose. They're attributing what they want it to mean to us as if we have actually said it. And it's a lie. That is not true about the Alliance Defending Freedom. Let me speak for myself uh, right now on that issue. Um, if you want me to stay out of your bedroom, then shut the door. Stop opening it up and forcing me to stand in it and publicly applaud and acknowledge what you do. The Alliance Defending Freedom is, the not, is not the one intruding into the bedroom. Shut the door. Stop making private behavior public and stop forcing those that disagree with a certain choice of sexual expression, sexual behavior. Stop forcing us to agree with you. Keep it private. Shut the door. Stop opening the bedroom door. And I don't care. Carry on. 
Now, as a Christian, if you want to talk about the morality of the issue, sure, that's fine. But don't imply that I'm the one that's making the private public when it's you. And if you want to accuse ADF of intruding into the private lives, the bedrooms of homosexual, those that uh, choose homosexual behavior, then shut the door. They're not the ones intruding. They're just helping those of us who disagree with that choice and want to teach our, the kids in our churches and the kids in our families and have the right religiously to pursue a certain moral standard, they want to give us the freedom to do so. That billboard is a blatant lie. It's well, deception. So is, so is the website itself. I went to it, nogayesallowed.org, and it's, it's, it's centerpiece is, Who is Alliance Defending Freedom? ADF has extreme, out-of-touch, and dangerous views about lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people, and they're forcing those views on others. <laughs> they're f- okay. Absurd. Uh, yeah, it is. It is every bit that you described it as a lie, and it is absurd as well. Doctor Piper, keep sounding the clarion call in defense of religious liberty. It is just wonderful these op eds that you write, and I really appreciate uh, uh, the opportunity to talk with you about them. I'll remind everybody else about your book as well. Not a daycare: the devastating consequences of of abandoning truth. Make sure that you read that and pay attention and look for Doctor Piper uh, online as well. Doctor Everett Piper, president at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Sir, thank you so much, and again, I wish you a merry, merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you. Blessings. Thank you so much. We'll be right back after this. And although I know it's a long road and possibly reduce your back taxes by up to 90%. If you are facing wage garnishments, liens, bank levies, audits, or payroll taxes, it's not too late. Your circumstances may qualify you for this special program, protecting your savings and your assets. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's no need to worry anymore. Call the hotline at Victory Tax Solutions to see if you qualify and potentially save thousands. For this free information, call 800-813-1105. 800-813-1105. That's 800-813-1105. Oh, so Second, obviously, just want to tell you that coming up after the top of the hour, uh, after the news, uh, we're going to talk to Hans von Spakovsky. Hans is a former uh, chairman or commissioner, rather, with the Federal Election Commission. We're going to talk about the president. We're going to talk about Michael Cohen, and we're going to talk about whether or not the president and or Cohen violated campaign finance law and thus are eligible to be indicted. We know that Cohen has already been sentenced because he was foolish enough to plead guilty to something that is very likely not a crime. Uh, but what about the president? Can they indict him either as a sitting president or when he uh, returns to uh, private life after uh, his term or terms uh, in the Oval Office? Uh, Hans von Spakovsky sat on the board, again, a member of the Federal Elections Commission. He knows, and he says... The president did not violate any campaign finance law. I will let him explain that when he joins us right, well, not right now, but right after the news, which is now here on AM 1420, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.